I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. I'm a modern pentathlete. I'm a student and I'm a soldier. And I'm very proud of all those things that I am, all those things that I represent and work really hard to be. everyone, Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 169 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about their big wins, tough moments, and everything in between. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes and CEOs to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. Today, I am talking to Sergeant Samantha Schultz. She is a modern pentathlete in the Army's world-class athlete program and headed to Tokyo. I'm so excited to bring you this episode because I learned so much recording it. This was a collaborative effort that I undertook with the Army, where I headed out to Fort Carson near Colorado Springs, Colorado, and was able to train alongside Sammy and really get some insight into everything it takes to be a part of the world-class athlete program. In today's episode, Sammy brings us on the journey of how she became a modern pentathlete, which, in full transparency, I knew very little about the sport until she did just that. She explains the entire rundown. The the sport includes a slew of different events from swimming and running to shooting a laser pistol, riding a horse, fencing, a lot of skills <laughs> required here. Sammy talks to us about why she chose this sport and what it's been like for her to train for it leading up to the Olympic Games. She also gets really vulnerable talking about what it was like for her to fall just short of making the team for Rio, fueling her fire to work harder than ever to make this year's team. She details her upbringing in Colorado, which prepped her to be a multi-sport athlete, and also gets honest about where her weaknesses may lie and how she's had to shift her mindset to better address and then conquer the hurdles that come hand in hand with having to tackle so many modalities as a part of her sport. I had such an amazing time talking with Sammy, training with Sammy, a huge, huge thank you to the Army for connecting us and giving me this opportunity. And I know that you're gonna learn a lot listening to this episode, just like I did getting together with her. Obviously, Sammy is an extraordinary human, but I get a lot of requests asking me to talk to perhaps lesser known athletes, detailing their struggles, detailing the hurdles that they face along in their journeys. So I'm so excited to shine a light on the modern pentathlon and to give you some insight into what it means to be both a part of the army and a athlete, you know, trying to compete with the best of the best. As always, make sure you're following along with Hurdle over at Hurdle Podcast. I'm over at Emily Abadi. Last thing, for more information on the World Class Athlete Program, make sure to head on over to the show notes and click the link in the description. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Sergeant Samantha Schultz. She is training for Tokyo. She's part of the U.S. Army's world-class athlete program and a modern pentathlete. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm so excited to be here with you. We are sitting here at Fort Carson 
in Colorado Springs. Yes. I'm going to say we just went for a run, but what really happened is I followed Sammy for about like eight minutes until I couldn't breathe anymore. And then I just let her. <laughs> let her go. To be fair, that was a that was a pretty challenging run that Garden of the Gods has some pretty steep, steep terrain. Um, so my legs are definitely feeling a little bit shaky after that run, but it's absolutely gorgeous up there. We have so much to get into, ranging from your backstory to what it's like to be part of the world-class athlete program. First and foremost, I think what's super interesting to me, at least so far following you here around base and around Colorado Springs, has been just the intensity of your training right now. So why don't we kick things off with you talking me through a quote-unquote typical week of training? Oh boy. How long do you have? (laughs) Um, So modern pentathlon consists of five events. We have fencing, swimming, horseback riding, running, and shooting. So there is a lot of different aspects of the sport, a lot of different things to train for. So a typical day would be a combined workout in the morning, uh, which is running and shooting. And then we'll have a short break, go to swim practice, usually go home, have lunch, And then in the afternoon, I'll have strength and conditioning, some lifting, and then going to fencing practice. And then, uh, say, on a Tuesday, we'll have riding in the morning, and then we'll go to a run afterwards, and then swimming in the afternoon, and some shooting and possibly, like, recovery. Um, I like to incorporate yoga and Pilates into my recovery routine. It helps me work on stretching, some breathing. So usually every day we have about two workouts in the morning, two workouts in the afternoon. And then I do try to take Sundays off with either a yoga or um, just something walking around. And usually my coach is telling me, do more rest, like stay off (laughs) your feet, uh, which is hard for me, which probably was why pentathlon was such a good fit um, doing so many different sports. Yeah. So let's rewind and talk a little bit about pentathlon, because I think for individuals who don't fully know the history of it or much about it, they hear this and they're like, what is that? So you obviously explained the different events that are a part of this, but let's talk a little bit about the history. So why pentathlon? What made you interested in this specific sport? Right. So pentathlon has a huge history. They, a soldier had to deliver a message across enemy lines. He would need to know how to ride a horse across any kind of terrain. He would need to know how to shoot a pistol If you run out of ammunition, pull out your sword, start uh, fencing. If you come to a body of water, you have to swim. Once you're on the other side, you have nothing left, so you have to run to deliver that message. And originally, I had actually never heard about the sport until 2010, so I was 18 at the time. I learned about the sport of modern pentathlon, and ironically, I was running cross-country and track. I was swimming, I was riding horses, and I grew up hunting. So I had four out of the five events that I was doing. And I was like, wow, there's a sport that exists that has these four events plus fencing. So it was very, a very unique sport. And I learned about it growing up. I like growing up in Colorado. I mean, you're, we were always outdoors. My family was very active. My dad had me on skis the day I was two. Uh, we grew up hunting. Uh, my mom was a swim coach. Uh, we also played tennis. We biked. I think I did gymnastics for a while. I did ice skating, kind of dappled in a lot of different things and was always a multi-sport athlete. So I was never really super great at one thing, but I worked hard and I just loved the diversity of being able to do a lot of different things. And all these coaches growing up say you have to specialize in one or 
do this or do one thing. And my parents were very supportive of me doing a lot of different things. So in 2010, when I found out about the sport, came to the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center in Colorado Springs and did a training camp. I was like, wow, this is actually really cool. Fencing was super hard. Um, That was definitely a learning curve. But the coaches thought I had potential. And so I was supposed to go to college out in Grand Junction and run cross country for them. But like two weeks before I did that, the coaches felt I had potential. And I moved out to Colorado Springs, uh, went to night classes at UCCS and kind of changed course and gave it a shot. And it, I mean, it stuck. I, I fell in love with the sport, stuck with it, worked really hard. And that's kind of the long story short of how I got involved in it. So when you say the coaches thought you had potential, are these coaches from the Army's world-class athlete program? So at this time, I was a civilian. I started out as a civilian in the sport, and this was just national team coaches. So I was training with the national team at the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center. And at that time, there was actually a lot of athletes that were in the WCAP program that were in the Army, also some in the Air Force. So I was training alongside a lot of these other athletes, and I got to know the chain of command over the years that was involved in the U.S. Army got to train around these athletes and I looked up to them so much. They were incredible. I saw the way they carried themselves, the way they worked hard and not just as athletes, but as soldier athletes. And they represented so much more and seeing that support team they had behind them with the leadership. uh, I fell in love with it. And over time, they kept trying to recruit me, kept trying to recruit me. But with Rio being right around the corner, uh, 2016, that Olympic games, then I didn't really have time to go off to basic training. And when I missed qualifying for Rio 2017, I finally made the decision. I was like, I want to go another four years and I want it to be as a soldier athlete. It's so interesting to me because as someone who is still learning about obviously the WCAP program and just how this works, I mean, from the outside looking in, I feel like there are, are inevitably so many questions, right? So what were your biggest questions when you first heard about this? Did you ever think that you would be joining the army? I never really thought that it was going to be in my path to join the army. I also kind of figured I was kind of past my prime to join the army. You don't really think I, I always assumed you join right out of high school and that's kind of when you join. And I never learned a whole lot about it. But when I did talk to my coaches, my fellow teammates about the program and just the opportunities that not only it provided as an athlete, but your career outside of athletics and the people you get to meet, the people you get to work with, that second team that you get to have behind you as you're fighting as an athlete, it gives me that much more drive. And it's been, it also just kind of takes a burden off of you. Um, My leadership that I've had, my coaches, they're there to support me. And I know I have a nutritionist. I have a sports psychologist. I have everything I need here with the Army, with the WCAP program. And so it's also taken a lot off of my plate that I have to worry about. Talk to me a little bit about your first experiences as a part of the program. Because again, I said the word a little intimidating before. I would imagine it was a little bit intimidating. Yes, it it is a little intimidating. I mean, especially just joining the military, uh, joining the army. I was definitely nervous. I was a little bit scared. Everyone's like, oh, you'll be fine. You're, you know, you're strong. You're an athlete. And I think going through basic training and advanced training, um, which every soldier has to go through when they join the military. Um, I think that was what I was most intimidated about. 
is being taken out of my element of being forced into lack of sleep. Um, you're on someone else's terms, someone else's schedule and afraid of losing my training. And there was times I didn't think I can make it through that. But what's like, what's involved in that? Like, give us some information as to like, what's talk to me about basic training. So you're basically, when you go off, you go into a place called MEPS, which every town has a place called MEPS, and they will fly you basically to where your basic training station is. So you fly there, whatever flight they get, you have one backpack, that's all you take with you. You have this big book of paperwork that they take, and that's like your file. That's your folder. That's what you're known by. And when you get there, there's a drill sergeant waiting, and he is instantly yelling at you to line up with everyone you're put on a bus and you're shipped out to processing. And in processing, uh, they basically issue you all your gear, everything. And I think I was up for probably 48 hours at that point. I mean, you, I should have slept more on the plane because that was the last opportunity I think I had to get some good sleep. And in processing, they get your boots and you're basically there for a couple days just processing in. They're figuring out who's going to go to what units um, and what basic training uh, facilities. And then once you're there for a few days, they'll take you in a white bus. You have your two big bags and you are shipped off to where you will do basic training for the next eight weeks. And it's just grueling for the first couple weeks here. They're really just trying to break you down to build you up and really get that team and camaraderie between you and your fellow soldiers and building you back up the way with that resilience, being able to work together as a team and finding those people that if you are going to stay by yourself, like you will learn, like you're all going to suffer together and you all have to be able to pick each other up and being able to go through that, I think has made, I didn't realize like I thought I was a strong person, but getting through that and seeing all these changes of other people, I was 25 at the time when I went through basic. And a lot of these people were 17, 18 coming right out of high school. And so seeing their transformation too was incredible and being able to be a leader, uh, be a soldier with them and see that. And now they're following along my journey too and mm. seeing just our different milestones that we've accomplished along the way. It's more than just like running around in formation though. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. You're crawling and uh, you're learning how to shoot rifles. Uh, you're learning how to navigate through the woods. Um, I mean, basically just learning how to I mean, work together to accomplish any kind of mission that is thrown your way. Right, right. And something that we haven't addressed yet and I think a big misconception about uh, getting involved in military service is that you get into military service and you are like deploying into combat. And there are so many different types of roles and jobs and positions within the army. So what do you do? So my job in the army is uh, 88 Mike motor transport operator. So when I went to AIT, I was learning how to drive uh, five ton vehicles, uh, basically a semi truck, and a load handling system. So unloading and loading different types of cargo, alley docking semi trucks. It was a very crazy experience, but also very fun. I don't think I've ever, I would have ever done that if I did not join the military. It was a little intimidating, but there is so many different career opportunities that you can do in the military and recruiters. Uh, they have so many different options that you can go go down whatever your passion is. You're such a petite human. Like, how did you get into being the person that was working with the <laughs> trucks? Also, wait, what does AIT stand for? 
advanced individual training. Okay. I feel like army speak is like, there might as well be a separate language and I need a handbook to like sit here and really understand. Don't worry. I do too. (laughs) There's still a lot. I'm like, well, what does that stand for? (laughs) Oh my God. So, but how did you get into the position where you were the one that was driving the trucks? That kind of fell, it just fell into play. It worked out well to where I would go straight from basic training to the advanced individual training, AIT. Uh, And just timing wise, it was going to get me back to training quickly back to the WCAP unit. And I, I really wanted to go more of a medical route, but it was a longer schooling. And I wanted to make sure I could come back to be able to get strong for Olympic selections that was going to start that next year. And you mentioned uh, the hurdle of not making it to Rio. Talk to me about how that was for you. That was devastating, not making the Rio team. I figured out in 2012 that I had a torn labrum and a stress fracture in the neck of my femur. And so at the end of that season, I had surgery and I came back really strong. I was physically ready to go. I was strong. I was a very consistent athlete, but mentally in 2016, I crumbled under a lot of the pressure and I fell short by one place. And that was really hard. Um, I poured so much into what I was doing, maybe an unhealthy amount. And I think that's what I learned after was when I actually met my husband after I didn't qualify my husband now, but after I didn't qualify, I still trained as if I was going, I was the alternate. I didn't get a go to the games as an alternate, but I went as a spectator, which was still an amazing experience. And, but it kind of made me figure out that like, I need to have a better balance with my life. I'm still working on what balance is, but I am, I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. I'm a modern pentathlete. I'm a student and I'm a soldier. And I'm very proud of all those things that I am, all those things that I represent and work really hard to be. Something you mentioned before was that you knew that maybe you were working too hard. Was there a moment or a situation where that kind of really came to light for you, where you realized just how much you were pouring in to being a modern pentathlete? I feel that I, every time I would have a bad workout or anything went wrong in a practice, I would just dwell on it all the time. And it, would just consume me. That was kind of a moment when I realized it's like, this is not the end all be all. There is so much more to life. I really need to have a bigger perspective on life. And going to basic training was a huge perspective change for me. And joining the military, uh, that's been a really big perspective change. Uh, Going to school and just, I think, keeping myself busy with other things. Also figuring out what that balance is, but being able to see that sometimes doing less is more. As I get older as an athlete, I can't train the same way I was when I was 18. And so I have to be smarter about the way I train my recovery. And a lot of those injuries that start coming up, that makes you realize too, I need to tone it back. I need to focus more on my sleep, my recovery. And I'm still doing that. It's not perfect. And I'm still figuring it out after I've done this sport for 10, 11 years. And it's challenging because you think you need to work harder and harder and harder to accomplish your goals and just grind and hustle. Uh, But that's not always the answer. Right, right. And I would also imagine, uh, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but you went from you were the only thing you had to worry about, right? Like perhaps as a single woman, then you meet someone and all of a sudden you care about this person and you have to 
be able to listen to them and hear their perspective. And I'm sure your now husband had some feedback about what you had been doing, which for many of us, I mean, I'm a single woman, me leaning into exercise, me leaning into fitness, me training is how I cope with almost everything. Yes, exactly. It was definitely during COVID. That was a huge coping thing for me. Just, I was like, I need to work out like all day, every day. Like Mm. I need to keep training. My husband was like, you, you are coping in a very unhealthy way. And it, it helps to have someone on the outside seeing that because a lot of times we, we keep doing the same things and he points out things that I may not see. And he helps me realize he's really opened my eyes to podcasts, books. And he's like, you need to listen to this. You need to read this and help me get more in touch with God too. And find that there is more things to life and I don't need to just cope with exercise. I think it's healthy to cope in some way with exercise. It's a good way for us to get our energy out and to move our bodies. But there is that fine line of overdoing it and doing too much. And just, you can't keep running away from things that you need to keep, you need to face things at some point because they're going to grow into dragons. (laughs) (laughs) To dragons for sure. The monster. Well, you mentioned also uh, before having access to a really great team, being a part of the world-class athlete program, that team, including sports psychologists, question mark. Yes. And I had been encouraged to work with a sports psychologist earlier on, but it was just so difficult in starting to work with someone. Uh, it takes time to build that relationship. So finally, when COVID hit, I was like, I really need to pursue this. And it was around May of 2020, I started working with someone and she's really helped me uh, change my perspective on the way I view myself, my training. A lot of times our self-talk is a big part of if we can either motivate ourselves or kind of destroy ourselves. And that's a huge aspect that I've been working on is that confidence. It's like, I've gotten to where I am now because of the hard work and dedication I put in. And just because I have one bad result doesn't mean that I need to just trash myself and everything I've done. So really just working with her and having someone to help kind of keep me accountable to things outside of my parents, my husband, someone's like a little unbiased and outside of the picture. Yeah. And I think that until you start working with, I mean, we're talking about a sports psychologist, obviously a parallel can be drawn to a therapist until you start working with someone who has this outside POV. You or I at least thought for so long, it's like, oh, I could just go with my girlfriend to get wine on Wednesdays. And it's totally the same thing. <laughs> it's so not totally the same no, thing. Uh-uh. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I I um, I um, just mentioned wine and you mentioned also having access to uh, a registered dietitian and to having nutrition coaching. How has, I mean, you're training constantly. So how have you learned more about what your body needs, what your nutritional needs are? I'm sure uh, it's completely different, the stuff that you're putting into your body now versus before you had all these resources. Right. Absolutely. Nutrition is a huge aspect of being an athlete. And everyone always assumes, oh, you do five sports. You can probably eat whatever you want. It's like, okay, I probably could, but I'm not going to feel very good. I know that I need to put good things into my body and having injuries. uh, When I had surgery in 2012, I've had stress fractures. Um, Even earlier this year, I had some really bad plantar fasciitis issues and had to be in a boot. So because I probably pushed things a little bit too much during COVID, overdid things in some areas, and I wasn't fueling myself enough. I, I even have that mistake now. So working with nutritionists and being able to have 
resources such as a DEXA scan, blood work, because things can look good on paper, but actually getting more of that data and sitting down with someone to analyze it and make sure, am I like actually eating the right things? Because I could be eating healthy, but am I absorbing that stuff correctly? Am I timing my nutrition to be able to get the most out of it? Like, is my bone density okay? Um, is my body fat where it needs to be for what kind of sports I'm doing? So learning more about it. And I love that kind of stuff. I'm so interested in it and being able to talk and utilize someone that has that knowledge and that experience has helped me grow as an athlete. And I think you're always going to battle those injuries when you're pushing your body Mm. to that limit. You're always going to have that. So you kind of need someone to oversee that at times and be like, what did I do wrong? Or where did I go wrong? What can I improve? Because I think there's always room for improvement. Like you can think you're doing something well, but there's like that 1% better every day that adds up. Yeah, no, it definitely adds up. And obviously we talked about uh, you going through a point where you were overtraining, whether it be uh, around Rio or during COVID. When you have this much insight into your nutrition and you get into that nitty gritty, is it easy to take the nutrition too far as well? Yes, absolutely. Talk to me about that. I think being a female in sport, uh, there's always like a standard of what you need to look like. And social media, you see a lot of people that look, I mean, they look amazing. They look incredible. And you want to look that way. And regardless if it's real or not. And so I think that standard of I need to eat healthier so that my body can look this way or that way and comparing ourselves to other people. And we're all different. And especially as a pentathlete, we have so many different aspects. Like I'm not going to look the same as a runner. I'm not going to look like a swimmer. Um, And being able to embrace what my body has to offer, like my legs provide me power. I may think my quads are huge, but they provide me power to do the things I need to do. And food is fuel. So trying to kind of change things around in my head of a better mantra that um, providing myself with good nutrients in my body and just monitoring it. And sometimes the calorie tracking actually, it can be detrimental, but knowing too, it's like ignorance isn't always bliss. Like you kind of want to know to some aspect, but in a healthy way. So finding that balance and even working with my sports psychologist and nutritionist on that kind of stuff to be able to say, I don't feel comfortable eating this. And they're like, okay, we'll change this around. So being able to know myself too and speak up for things I'm like I don't think that's going to work can we change this so being able to stand up for yourself uh know what you need and just not judge others and what their path is because your path is going to be completely different yeah everyone's path is so different and the fact that I mean you are a pro athlete right like you're going to the Olympics so these things that we're talking about what you're eating how you're fueling this is part of your job which at times, as I've had so many conversations with such excellent professionals, uh, can be inherently very stressful, right? Because if something goes wrong, if something's off, it's it's frightening. It shakes your foundation. But as you said before, talking about all the different roles that you have in this life of being a friend, a, a friend, a daughter, a wife, a soldier, like being an athlete is just one part of who you are. Right. Absolutely. And Like you said, it's very important what you put into your body. And I also think, too, that's what you surround yourself with, too. Mm. Those people you surround yourself with, people that support you and uh, family, friends, uh, the Army team that I have, that support system that you have around you. 
they're going to help you and they're not going to be around you be like, well, why aren't you drinking this beer? Like, why aren't you, why aren't you eating this? It's like, you shouldn't be judging me for what I'm doing. You should be supporting me in what I do. And so having friends and people around you that will support that and not be so judgmental of it. And there's always going to be that. Uh, but I think too, just being able to be more firm on like, there's always time to have that cheat meal or to treat yourself. You can't just live life never looking at a piece of cheese or chocolate or wine. You need to have times. And there's like different seasons in our life that we can enjoy that. Um, but it's as an athlete, you do have to be that much more regimented on what you do. And because, um, yeah, my body is my job, essentially yeah. training hard and um being able to perform my duties as a soldier athlete. It's interesting. You said uh, that there can be seasons for different things, referencing like what we're putting into our bodies, perhaps like right now, the season is a lot more strict than it would have been a year or two years ago. But there's also seasons as we're referencing of relationships, right? And I feel like this topic topic keeps coming up on the show. But having the mindset that sometimes you have to be a bigger person and you have to be okay with letting people play a role in your life that you didn't expect for them to play. So I'm sure as your training has ramped up, as you've had to kind of reprioritize a little bit, it has been a little bit difficult perhaps for you to take some space from some relationships that at other times had been really prominent for you. Absolutely. Relationships and like time is, I always just say, I wish I had more time. Uh, I've missed out on a lot of friends events or weddings or things because of competitions, or I just can't travel. Um, taking leave for army, it can be challenging at times and being able to say no and just say like, I can't do that. I'm sorry. It, it is really hard and it has challenged a lot of friendships in relationships. And I know my husband, he's like, I just, sometimes you don't have a lot of time and it's hard. And I never saw myself getting married as an athlete. And so I am so grateful that our relationship is the way it is. And he has been so understanding. But I think after the Olympics, it's like there is going to be that time where we get to spend more time together. In COVID, we did. Um, we were living together as our first year of marriage. And so we did get more time together, whether we liked it or not. <laughs> um, but I think that was also good. It, it challenged us to grow in different ways and it's challenged me to grow in different ways or find different ways to connect to people. Um, because I might not be able to be there in person with them, but being able to just send a quick text, Hey, thinking of you, I'm sorry, I can't be there. Um, being able to still stay connected in that way. And I think they understand and they know and they see that journey I'm on and they support it. And if they don't support it, um, that relationship may rebuild itself afterwards, um, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you a story about when I learned about opportunity costs. So I, I mean, as you and I have spoken about, a big runner training for lots of marathons and going hand in hand with all this training that I'm doing, all the training that you do is this idea of opportunity costs and that there are going to be things that you have to let go by the wayside a little bit in order to pursue an opportunity, i.e. for you, the games, for me, a marathon. I'm out to drinks with a girlfriend for her birthday and we're both training for the New York City Marathon. I think this is like I want to say like three years ago at this beautiful rooftop bar in New, in New York City, but we're having one drink. That's it. It's her birthday, but like we've got a long run the next day. We're there for one drink and a man walks up to us at the bar and he says, can I buy you a shot? Like the two of us. And we're like, uh, nah. And he's like, wow, you guys are like real downers. And we're like, well, we're we have a long run tomorrow. Uh, we have like we're gearing up for this thing. We're training for the marathon. 
He's like, wow, that's a really big opportunity cost. And I had never heard the term before. So this man, like 20 stories above, like over Manhattan, we're like staring at the World Trade Center. It's beautiful. He starts schooling me and like what this means and how he, I must really value like running the marathon. And you take a step back and you ask yourself, like, what is it about this that makes this opportunity cost worth it? And I think that sometimes at first, whether it is with like becoming a morning exerciser or maybe eating a little healthier, it's like you have to start and starting can be the hardest part. But once you start and get a taste of why this thing is so good, why this thing can help you so much, then you fully start to understand the opportunity cost, right? And that opportunity cost, it it isn't something that phases you once you have a full ability to articulate why this thing is so good for you. So, so often, I mean, going back to the idea of like morning workouts, for example, people are like, how do you do that? And in my head, for the most part, maybe not over the last 48 hours, but in my head, I'm like, how do I not? Right. Because it makes me feel better. Right. As Mm -hmm. I'm assuming, I mean, with you having to train so many times in one day, you know that you feel better at the end of the day. If you have kind of checked off all the things on your, this is going to make me the best version of me to do list. Absolutely. You have to, sometimes people say, oh, that's selfish. But I think for you to serve others, you need to serve yourself and make sure you are the best you can be, whether that's waking up to meditate, do yoga, go for a run, eat better. But yeah, taking that first step can be the most challenging. And I think people think they need to like go out and go for a 10 mile run. It's like, no, like go for a mile run, go for a walk. Just start with that and like work your way up. It doesn't happen overnight. Like I did not become an Olympian overnight. This has taken years and consistency, hard work, perseverance, a lot of help. And so it's like, yeah, things don't just happen overnight. And it does take saying no to someone offering you a shot or a good night, staying out with friends. It's like, nope, I'm going to do one and I'm going to go home. I'm going to get rest. It doesn't mean you can't go out. You can't enjoy time with friends, but knowing when to like set your limits and and you're, yeah, you're going to miss out, have those opportunity costs. That's interesting. I've never heard it that way. <laughs> I know. I like always, I'm like, this was like such a New York moment for me and this man who has no idea that I have this like profound story about him explaining this to me now. Thank you, sir, wherever you are in the world. Uh, so for you now gearing up for Tokyo, what would you say perhaps has been something that is a big opportunity cost for you? Especially with COVID, just limiting the amount of people I'm around, uh, really trying to watch, um, just stay uninjured. So that's going to mean me saying no a lot more, which is hard. There's a lot of opportunities that come when you say, oh, I'm, I'm an Olympian and I'm going to the Olympics. A lot of people are so excited, which is amazing. There's so many opportunities, but at the same time, I know I need to focus on my training to make sure that I can go and perform at my best and saying no and missing out on some of those opportunities to get my story out, share about my sport, share about the Army world-class athlete program and all the opportunities I've had with that, it, it is going to have to kind of go down the wayside and a little bit too of my relationships, my friendships. Mm. Um, but I know that they will understand and staying healthy, making sure I do not get sick before I go, staying injury-free, that's going to be the main part. I just came here from the track and field trials. I know it's how someone qualifies to go to the games for you in your sport. How do you qualify? So there is a very long selection period for the sport of modern pentathlon. Typically the year before the Olympics, there is a set 
amount of competitions that will be put into a world ranking and they'll take your top three scores from that world ranking and those athletes will qualify for the games. There is only 36 men and 36 women total that go to the Olympics and up to two per country are allowed slots. There is a second way to qualify and that's off of like continental competitions. So in 2019, they had a Pan American Games which this is always usually one year before the Olympics. And at Pan American Games, they have two slots for North and Central America, two slots for South America, and then a wild card. So five total slots for all of North and South America. And so at Pan American Games, I won the silver medal, which qualified my spot for the Olympics. Uh, That spot technically was not confirmed until like a few weeks ago. Um, So like, even though I'm sitting, I'm like, I'm qualified but it's still, you're still kind of riding on that. I could be bumped out if someone in the world ranking were to pass me, mm. two U.S. women were to pass me in world ranking. Um, so there, it, it's very complicated, but you basically have a year-long process that you have to stay solid for and compete strong throughout that whole season versus one trial. So it's kind of like we do have a longer duration. Uh, you don't just have that one day you have to show up. You have to have multiple days. So it's like, I don't know what I'd rather have because that's a little bit stressful in my head having one race where you have to qualify. We have a little bit longer, but at the same time too, Pan American Games, I just had a very strong day and being able to have my family there and knowing I had my spot qualified in 2019 was a huge relief. How many people compete in that? In the Pan American Games? Yeah. I'm trying to, there was over 50. Wow. 50 athletes, I want to say, I'd have to look at the number, uh, 50 women. Okay. So it, was, it was bigger than in most years. Uh, things have developed more in the South and Central American countries, uh, which is really great to see. I'd love to see the sport grow. It's definitely a lot bigger in Europe uh, and overseas, but not so much in like North and South America. And I was talking to your coach yesterday and it's interesting, right? Because obviously so many different disciplines within one quote unquote sport. So, so many different sports in one sport. Right which means that it attracts individuals who may have like a little bit of a weakness in one area, but a strength in the others per se. Would you say for you, and I mean, I feel like by the time that this comes out, it'll be safe and no one's going to know this, but do you have like a weaker sport? Yes, I would say. <laughs> I don't want to blow your cover. I don't <laughs> no. blow your cover. <laughs> I think it is well known that uh, fencing is definitely my most challenging sport of pentathlon. And, uh, the combined event, the running and shooting is my strength, but I also grew up around horses, uh, which is one of my strengths as well. But in pentathlon, we ride a random horse. So you really don't know what you're going to get that day and how you're really going to mesh with that animal. You have to figure it out that day. So that's always a little bit of a toss up knowing what you're going to get. Right. If you're out of the loop on how horses work, because I'm obviously (laughs) so in the loop, but I learned about this yesterday. Every horse obviously is different. So individuals who may own one or work with the same horse all the time, you develop such a special relationship with that animal. So then to be thrown on a horse, you get 20 minutes with the horse before you ride it. Yes. 20 minutes to warm up, a couple warm up jumps, and then you have to go in and do 15 obstacles. They can be set up to four feet high. So it's pretty, I mean, you're testing your trust in that animal. um, And that's a quick time to really adapt and adjust to a horse. Wow. Okay. So something I don't think that we've done just yet. I know you talked us through all the different disciplines of pentathlon, but just like you did now explaining how that 
writing component would go. Let's talk through kind of the run of show of how a modern pentathlon would play out. Right. Absolutely. So modern pentathlon, we will usually start with the fencing. You'll have a round robin fencing. So 36 athletes, 36 women, and you will fence each woman one touch. So you'll have 35 touches, one minute per bout. And you basically have one winner, uh, victory or defeat. And whoever has a victory will get more points. After that, they will put you into a ranking system first through 36th. And you will do a bonus round for the fencing. So basically 36 fences 35. Whoever wins stays up to fence 34. And each bout that you win, you get plus one point. And a point can make a difference. I mean, Olympics are definitely, it gets really tight for those top three athletes uh, for the medal spots. And then after the fencing is over, we have the swimming event, 200 meters freestyle. So basically the faster you swim, the more points you get. After that, whoever is in the lead from the fencing and swimming will draw a number and that's what horse they get. And then they'll go down the list of who gets the horse and you'll have the 15 course obstacle obstacles that you have to complete, uh, be under a certain optimum time and not knock down. If you knock down a rail, you will deduct points. If you have a refusal or a fall or any time penalties, you will lose points. And so a perfect ride is 300 points. And so as you're going, more and more points is better. And when you get to the final event of the running and shooting, whoever is in first place will basically start at zero. And then say I'm in second place, I'll start uh, if I am five points behind first, I will start five seconds back and so on and so forth. And my job is to catch that person in front of me. And in the combined event, we will run into our shooting station. We have to hit five targets, run 800 meters, and we do that four times. So a total of 20 hits on the target and two miles of running. Whoever finishes that last lap of running first is the winner. And we haven't mentioned this yet, although I'm sure I will mention it in the intro to this episode, but we're not shooting real guns here. We're shooting laser guns, laser pistols. Yes, we are (laughs) shooting laser pistols. And they had switched over to laser. That was in, I think, 2012. They wanted our event to be in a stadium full of people. It made it safer. And actually, too, it's actually made it better for us to travel. We don't have live ammunition with us. Uh, we basically have a glorified laser pointer, but it is not as easy as it looks. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you shoot a laser pistol? Like It's like video games. <laughs> it is not easy. I tried it yesterday. <laughs> it's not easy at all. It is interesting to me, though, thinking about you going through security with all of the gear that you need to travel with. I mean... Ha- you must have had to explain this like at least a handful of times. Oh, yes. It's it's a pain sometimes. Even fencing. Can you, can you go on an airplane with fencing equipment? We we definitely have checked bags that we send everything through because yeah. the, uh, the epes that we fence with are so long. Uh, but all the gear, you have your pistols, your riding gear, running, swimming, fencing. There's hardly ever a time. Like if I can make 50 pounds, which is a good thing I'm military, I get a little extra weight. Uh, but it's hard to make that 50 pound mark. I'm like, I feel like I overpack for everything. But it's a little <laughs> hard not to with pentathlon. I'm like trying to pack to go to like Colorado, Oregon and California for a week. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, like traveling the world to like do your sport. And it's absolutely, absolutely just so much stuff. Okay. So talk to me about where you were at when you found out that you were confirmed to go to Tokyo. I think, well, I mean, Pan, when I found out that I was going to go to Tokyo, 
my coach, he's like, just in case you guys wanted to see, he like emails us the letter that confirmed we were invited to the Olympics. And I remember calling and sending it to my parents and they were like, oh my God, it's official. We need to celebrate. And it's like, we've known that after world championships, we basically knew that my spot was solidified and I would be going, but actually seeing it in person, seeing that letter, you're just like, it's really happening. And then watching the trials, seeing all the excitement of athletes being able to qualify for the Olympics. It's just been that buildup that I think I kind of needed emotionally because you can feel very isolated sometimes as an athlete and kind of forget what you're aiming towards at times with that grind day in and day out. So being able to see that and um, just get get more excited, have those little things along the way that I'm grateful for. And I'm just so, I'm so grateful that they're still going to have the Olympics because that could have been taken away from me completely. And I think also, as we spoke about just there being both so many few pentathletes, so to speak, as well as not a ton of knowledge about the sport and individuals needing that full explanation that we just went through. Uh, that in itself, I mean, track athletes, so many track athletes, swimmers, gymnasts, like soccer players, like everything. There's so many of them, right? But you are a lesser known sport and you are one of a fewer amount of athletes. So I can totally imagine that that's a little isolating. You're like, but I, I matter. I'm here. (laughs) I'm doing this. And for you in traveling and representing your country, what does that mean to you? Representing Team USA is incredible, but I also get to represent the U.S. Army, too. And being a soldier athlete, that means so much more to me. And having more people behind me, a bigger team, I just know how hard a lot of military families, all those soldiers out there, how hard they work. And I get this really unique opportunity, and I need to go and work hard and fight for my nation but on a different field of play, which is a really unique experience. And not many people, a lot of people say they get to be an Olympian, but not a soldier athlete Olympian. And that's a very, it adds to that uniqueness and just brings me more pride. Uh, I don't do it for the title. I don't, I don't do it for anyone else, but I think just knowing that you have that much more to fight for that 1% like behind you when you're, when you're fighting and I know it's going to be hot in Tokyo. Um, so it's going to be hard, uh, knowing that I just have that little extra oomph behind me is, is really going to help. Oh, I have so many chills. This is so exciting. What do you think about when you think about life after Tokyo? Life after Tokyo. Oh boy. I've had this question a lot and I don't really know. Uh, to be honest, I, I am very grateful, like with the Army, I have so many opportunities career-wise with that, whether I want to continue in sport, whether I want to go down another path, go to school. There's things in the medical field. I love health and wellness. I actually got certified to teach Pilates, and I've always practiced it, and I love Pilates. I love health and wellness and being able to help others kind of achieve dreams or goals that they didn't really think that they could accomplish and just live healthier lifestyles. Cause like we said, it's kind of that first step. And a lot of times people don't know how to do that. And so providing them with the information to do that, I would love to be able to help people do that and give back in that way. I'm not really sure what that looks like yet. And I don't know if that's going to be here with WCAP in the army um, as a civilian. I don't really know. 
I do have a little bit of time, but I know right now that my goal is to go to the Olympics and perform to the best of my ability, hopefully bring home a medal. If I don't, um, that's okay, but I'm going to go out there and fight and then kind of reassess and take some time for myself and, um, much time for my husband and my family too, that I know that they've missed, they've missed kind of some times with me. Right now, if someone was to come check out your social media, I know you also have some YouTube content that I've been checking out. Uh, they'll see a, a strong woman training to go to Tokyo. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? When I look in the mirror, I see a very determined person. Uh, no matter what happens, how bad the day starts out, especially pentathlon, there's five different events. No matter how bad the day starts out, it's like I can always turn it around. I can keep working hard. I can keep trying. And that perseverance and that determination has really just over time progressed in an upward trend. There has been times it's gone up and down, but I can't say that I'm an overly confident person, but I just see a very determined and driven person. And that has helped me achieve things that I never thought I could. Love that. I also am now going back thinking into the sequencing of events and understanding that you can have one event that may not go as well as you had hoped. There has to be a lot of mental tenacity and sometimes mental gymnastics, I am sure, to get over that hurdle of letting that thing go so that you can move on to the next thing and just show up as your full self. I'm sure through your work with the sports psychologist, that is something you've had to work on astronomically. Yes, it is. Cause we can definitely get in our heads and fencing when we're doing the round Robin, that can be two to three hours. You have a lot of fencing that you're doing. And if you start losing and aren't able to pull yourself out, you can have a really bad day. So being able to pull yourself up and come back, not just in one sport, it can be anyone's day. I've seen women run up and I've ran up multiple places uh, in the combined event to win a medal. And I've seen other very strong women come up from very far behind to be on the podium. And so I know it's like, it's never over until you cross that finish line. It's just like starting your day just because you started out the day and it started poorly. Doesn't mean that you can just say, okay, <laughs> check that off my list. Like let's try to refocus and get back on track. Um, just breathe and move on to the next thing I need to do. Cause every day is not going to be perfect. And I mean, I'm a perfectionist. I want everything to be perfect. And that's also too something I've had to work on is perfection be, can be very detrimental and it can make things, it can destroy you. I mean, the difference between say running and shooting, like running and shooting are two things that you have so much more individual control over than fencing an opponent. Like you don't have control over what that person's going to do to you and they could go left and you could go right. And I don't know anything about proper fencing terminology here, but they could go left and you could go right. And that's not within your control. So I would imagine as someone who is a self-labeled perfectionist, Jesus, like getting through that mental hurdle is enough. Yes. And I think that has partially been why fencing has been so challenging for me is because I like to be in control. And as an athlete, that's helped me have success because I can control what I eat, how I train my schedule. But yeah, I can't control that person in mm -hmm. front of me. I, in some instances, I also cannot control that horse. Um, I have some control over it. Um, uh, but learning how to kind of let go of some of that control too. And COVID has actually, the pandemic has been very good because I have not had control. So being able to just let go and be like, I can't control that gyms are closed right now. I can't control that the Olympics have been 
possibly canceled or postponed. I have no idea, but I can control the way I focus my energy and what I'm going to do, what I'm going to focus on. Um, and some days it's better than others, but, uh, for the most part, it's those challenges. And I think people have learned to grow in different ways through this pandemic. So as hard as it has been, I think it's challenged people to grow in, in different ways too. If you had to reflect on one of the best pieces of advice that you have received in this training cycle, what would it be? Best piece of advice, I would say, leading up to the Olympics and just these past couple of years would be comparison is the thief of joy. If you've heard that quote before, uh, I especially not being around so many people were on social media all the time scrolling through your phone. Oh my gosh, I don't look like that. She's an athlete. I'm an athlete. Like that is, that's like going to steal all of your joy, everything that you've worked hard for. You can totally destroy yourself just by looking at what someone else is accomplishing. And so being able to set goals for yourself and say, and having a coach or having someone who's kind of your accountability coach to say like, what are your, your goals? What are your aspirations? Whether that's in athletics or work or family and being able to prioritize that to look at yourself and what you're doing to make sure you're that you're a better person, which is going to make also those people around you better. Cause you're going to be able to serve them better by knowing that you're focused on your goals and not so much of what that outside influences on other people. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly the reason you're reflecting on comparison being the thief of joy. That's exactly the reason why I decided to stop touching my phone for the first 30 to 40 minutes after I wake up in the morning. Now, my routine, I'm working on getting back to it every single day. I kind of deviated briefly, but I'll wake up and I'll journal first thing. I'll make an espresso. Like I'll get myself organized. The first time I grab my phone in the morning is usually when I do this thing that I call the lace up, which is where I tie my shoes on Instagram. Sounds so dumb when I say that out loud sometimes, but that shot in the morning is the first time that I'm like, okay, I'm here. But the good thing about that shot for me is on the mornings where maybe I'm not ready to look at myself in the, like in the mirror, so to speak yet. Maybe I'm not feeling my best. Maybe I've had like a, you know, emotional 24 hours for me, looking myself in the eye first thing in the morning and reminding myself that I have the opportunity, love that word to, to show up for me that's like more for me than it is for anybody else. But if that moment we're talking about like a mutual love for and hope to, to help others on their journey of, of wellness and well-being, uh, if if my experience and putting my big girl pants on can help somebody else show up and decide that they're also going to get out there for themselves that day, then how special is that? So again, on this idea of I can't wake up and compare myself to what anybody else is doing, your world completely changes when you release like just let them do their thing and you focus on your thing. And letting go can be hard. So hard. So hard. But like, yeah, you never know. Your lacing up could be someone's motivation to be like, I need to get up. I need to lace up my shoes and go out for a run. So I think that's really cool. Um, social media in a way can be great to help motivate and inspire others, but it can also be very detrimental. So totally. it's finding that, like I said, that balance before, which is hard because um, <laughs> you want to influence and impact others in a very positive way. Yeah. And so being able to showcase that in the raw feelings of things, uh, which I'm, it's hard to do at times, but I think if you can be that way, and like you said about journaling too, like that can be a really good way to get 
get out how you're feeling. And I love to journal and almost kind of reflect on things that I'm doing well. And in my, in my journal, I have two, two lines every day and it says, what are you grateful for? So being able to like have that gratitude too, it's like, no matter what's happened in the day, it's like, okay, what was some two good things that happened today and being grateful for that? Cause you, you need to have gratitude. There is something every day that is beautiful, um, that you should be grateful for you and me both sister. Okay. Final two questions. First question, when things may start to go awry or things feel really tough and you're out there for that 800 meter sprint or 200 meter sprint in the pool, do you have a mantra or something that you continuously go back to, to kind of refocus and get yourself into a groove? I would say it it does change on a regular basis, kind of some mantras that I do tell myself based on what workouts I'm in, but I have a tattoo on my wrist that says strength and it's from the Bible verse Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, There's definitely different ways to say it, but primarily just knowing that I've gotten this far and it's like, just telling myself, come on, Sammy, you can do it. You can do it. Almost that self-talk. You kind of sound a little silly, like you're being your own coach, but you need to be in your ear saying like, you've gone this far. Like you only have 200 meters left. You only have 50 meters left. Like you can do it. You ran how many miles this past, like last week, this is nothing almost kind of playing and playing like games in my head to make it seem like it's not as hard as it really is. And just remembering like that strength that I have that strength from God. I have that strength from everyone around me. Um, so being able to just tap into that and sometimes it's not there, that kick may not always be there, but, uh, those little times when I can't have that, that self-talk, it just helps give you that little extra boost. And to have the grace with yourself in the moments where it doesn't happen. And Again, just this idea of there's no such thing as being your hype man, your own hype man too much, especially when you're going out there and you're giving it all you've got, whether you're showing up for a meeting in a conference room or tackling a mile around a track. It's like you have to believe in yourself first because if you don't believe in yourself, then nobody else is going to do it for you. Right now, you have an opportunity to give yourself a piece of advice reflecting back on not going to Rio, technically. Mm-hmm. Hard times, devastating, overtraining. You have an opportunity right now to give yourself one piece of advice looking back on that time. What do you tell yourself? Looking back on that time, I would tell myself, this is just one piece of your life. This is a short moment in your life. And as devastating as it is, you will pick yourself up and you will pick up the pieces. You will fight hard. You will come back, um, have the faith, believe in yourself. I think a lot of times I didn't believe in myself and just knowing like it is, it is okay to be upset with what's happened to take that time to grieve and then get back on track and figure out where life takes you from there. Um, being upset is okay. People think you just need to shove it down. And I was upset and you need to be upset with yourself, um, for a quote unquote failure, but that failure provided me with an opportunity to do more, to join the military, to join the U S army, to be a part of the world-class athlete program. And if I was on that Olympic team and I did compete in Rio Olympics, I'm not sure I would have joined or I would have been on the same path that I am. So, Um, 
yeah, that was a long, long answer to your question. <laughs> it all happens for a reason. I'm so excited yeah. to cheer you on in Tokyo. I'm so amped. I'm excited to follow your journey. How do the hurdlers keep up with you? How do they follow along with you? Give me all the details. Instagram is definitely where I'm the most active at Samantha A USA. And then also Sammy Schultz is my YouTube channel. I'll hopefully be pushing out some more videos and getting some content in Tokyo. And then my website, Samantha K USA has uh, Samantha K USA.com has all the info, a ton of information about pentathlon in my journey. So I'm just really excited. Thank you so much for having me. Oh. It was wonderful to show you my sport and, uh, just be able to spend some time with you. Oh, loved it. I'm over at Emily body and at hurdle podcast, another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>